Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you. Good morning. It's good to be with you. Appreciate that very much. Well, I, I know that earlier in the week we were telling everybody that Election Day in Israel will be the October 25th. Then I saw last night that it might actually be November the 1st. What do you Before we talk about how we got to this point, what do you know practically about when this new election will take place? Well, we'll know soon. Uh, there were, both dates have been put forward. October 25th emerged after November 1st because you need three months uh, minimum and with the Yom Tovim coming, so in order to have the campaigns and do everything, they usually uh, give it a little bit more time. It, it still has, it only passed the first reading. It still has to pass three more readings in the Knesset, but it also has to go to two committees. And uh, Orbach, who chairs one of the committees, has held it up until Monday um, because he was waiting to see if an alternative government could be formed. And the um, so that you have the two the three readings, uh, which they will pass, it passed, I think, 110 to zero this time. Huh. Uh, and um, but but those numbers will may change as we move along, but not radically. And the process uh, to dissolve could take another week, ten days, two weeks, and then they will um, uh, set the date for the election. Isn't it interesting? And before we talk about how we got to this point, I I find it, and some may argue <laughs> that just by the law of averages, you're going to end up with elections almost every single uh, month of the year. But I find it interesting when the Israeli elections uh, turn out to be around the same time as the USA elections, and I always wonder uh, if if one has an influence on the other. Would it be any different if this election was happening in March or April as opposed to a week away from the midterm elections in America? I don't think that it has any impact. Either has an impact on the other. Uh, I think, it, it, you know, the people, if it's presidential elections, you might say it might have more of an impact. But I don't think people link with congressional and the local elections. There's a rumor that Naftali Bennett is uh, considering actually leaving the world of Israeli politics or taking a break from it uh, once all this comes down. Do you think there's anything to that? I, I do. As you know, he sold his high-tech business, so he, I think financially he he's okay. I think he, he, he like many others, have uh, seen that people often step back for a little while and come back to greater acclaim. You know, obviously his, his, uh, the reviews of his, pre- of his, his prime ministership vary greatly, but his core constituency is no longer with him. And the likelihood is his party, if he ran, would, would not even pass the threshold but unless he merged with another or did something else. And after you're prime minister, it's very hard to be back, to go back to the benches from right. the Knesset. Right. So I think he's he's looking at this, and maybe will become come back as president one day or something else. Uh, but um, you know, for that you need a lot of backing in the Knesset right now. I think uh, you know if he has a timeout, as they say, it, it probably would be good for him, and maybe you know for his family. It's very stressful being prime minister, even for a year, and being in politics for many years as he as he has been. So. I think there are a lot of things that go into the consideration, but he did it gracefully and turning it over to Lapid, who will now have, and by the way, he was the shortest serving prime minister in Israel's history by this. Um, Uh Now Lapid will get until November 1st, which could make him the shortest serving prime minister, but we, but 
Uh, he's going to be running, and his, he's gained seats in his party. Uh, so it will be very interesting to see it, and much of it really revolves around what Netanyahu does. Does he lead the Likud? Does the Likud split? Do, do, do others come back to the Likud if Bibi leaves? A lot of um, moving parts. And we got to this point because the very, very thin, uh, I don't want to say margin even, because the truth is they didn't have a margin, but the, but the, uh, uh, the, um, the very slight uh, way in which the government was holding together simply came apart. It, it, was just, it was just not possible for it to stay together anymore. And the, yes, and each issue became more contentious. And when you have that with the uh, departure of several people from Yamina, and also, you saw in his own, in his office, in Bennett's office, uh, one by one, key people were leaving over the last few months. Uh, and I think um, <laughs> the most recent being Bennett himself. So he, it's it's um, it's a, I mean, a combination of factors for them about when uh, to make the decision. It's a courageous decision. It's not easy to do. You could he could have continued to float like this, but neither side had a majority. So Bibi, even by the current numbers, the coalition around Netanyahu and Likud would, would still only make it to 60, and you need at least 61 to really be uh, governing. And 61 means that everybody has you over a barrel for pressure because they can constantly threaten to, to leave. The Netanyahu factor is is confusing to many of us because some of us are under the impression that as he goes through all these uh, trials, literally, and tribulations legally in Israel, that he wouldn't be able to run for prime minister. Uh, but it seems that that's not the case. It seems that even while he's sitting in court, he could still campaign and possibly win. Yes, he can, unless he's convicted. Right. But now, you know, they were talking about having uh, a law, right. and several people wanted to rush it through before the Knesset dissolves. But Bennett, I have to say to his credit, again, um, this announced that he would not support this legislation. He would not vote for the legislation. About somebody uh, who's on trial running for prime minister? Well, no, somebody who's indicted, I think, right. is, right. is the, is the term, I'm pretty right. sure. Right. I'm pretty sure. And... Um, uh, but he has not been convicted, and so far some of the trials seem not to be going very far. That uh, some of the, the witnesses, the key witnesses against him, uh, did not give the dyn- dynamite to the uh, court and to the case against him. So it is possible he can beat these cases, even though you know there are several. The Samarin case, I think, is still or Bezek is still the, the are still the two that people are watching most closely here's the here's the quote the law would bar criminal defendants from becoming prime minister so yeah, yeah but the definition of what makes a criminal defendant i think is it, it, to, to cover him now is indictment right if he's convicted that's already covered by the law right understood you know it's funny because and 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 in jewish life we've seen this in the past as you go through things historically that you know when the hamonam when the general public in the jewish world gains a certain acumen or gains a certain uh, ability to uh, do things uh, i don't want to say on their own but you know more independently let's put it that way um you know so the, the religious leadership changes you know the, the role of the religious leader changes you know, if you have an uneducated community you're going to have have a certain role if you have a very educated community you have a certain role now i know that this sounds ridiculous but but you look at what's happened over the last few years 
And Israel is thriving. I mean, it's unbelievable as we keep reading, seeing, and uh, experiencing, uh, even through COVID, the high-tech industry and the way the entire world is uh, attracted to what Israel is doing and wants a piece of what Israel is doing. And at the same time, it seems over the last two, three years, you know, every few months, the leadership uh, in the Knesset, the leadership in, in Jerusalem falls apart. So do you ever, you ever ask yourself, does Israel really need a prime minister when they're doing so well outside of the world of government? Very often, <laughs> and, and, and not just prime minister needed a government because uh, it seems they would do well. But also, you know, that this government, once the Knesset is dissolved, is the most powerful government Israel can have because they they make decisions and they're not dependent on the um, uh, Knesset to approve it. So they can actually take measures uh, with greater freedom than they can when. The regular government processes and obtains. Yeah, you described that last week, sort of as like as an executive order type situation, and that's that's really. I don't know if it's scary or you know, or finally they're going to get something done, or you know, we'll see what. Ha- I guess we'll see what happens. I, I haven't read anything about plans for that period of time in terms of trying to push different things through, but I guess uh, we'll only know once Lapid becomes prime minister and that interim government displays a drop of stability, uh, which I assume will be a week or two from now. Right, I would have to assume. Right. That, that's when that's when he'll take over yeah. officially. I mean, they still can't pass legislation, but they can um, do a lot in administrative ways. Right. And um, I, I, I just the last question on this is: it is it a shock that Netanyahu would get even what the polls are suggesting he would get? Because I understand that you know he's not going to be able to establish a, a big number in terms of Likud mandates if he would run, but just the fact that the polls are indicating that he would be in the game. Just the fact that he has a real shot to actually become prime minister again is 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 remarkable when you think of the media battles against him and obviously now the legal battles against him. Look, they've been dragging on so long. I think people lose interest. People begin to... But they're willing to know. vote for him? He's still considered, the when they ask who's the best leader that he emerges as the best. And, you know, I guess that's a statement about the competition on one hand. So this is the best thing that happened to him was that Bennett became prime minister. (laughs) Well, maybe, but... uh, (laughs) I don't know if he'd agree with that. uh, But, I mean, he's obviously enjoying the fact that the government fell after a year and puts him back in the captaincy. What's Zelensky's strategy when he demands publicly that Israel has to uh, join in the international sanctions against Russia? Yeah, it's really uh, quite interesting of the outsized role and responsibility that he places upon Israel, which has responded so generously, yeah. and and not to take into any account Israel's particular needs and and own security uh, positions, considering the fact that Israel was amongst the first to respond with aid in very disproportionate ways in in being supportive. Uh, he says that they haven't joined the sanctions uh, sufficiently, although. I think that they have done taken steps in this way as well, but they did send, um, uh, you know, helmets and and uh, bulletproof vests and other equipment. They asked for the Iron Dome. Israel generally doesn't export it, to, and you need at least a year or more to train people on it. And it's not really meant for the missiles that R- Russia is firing at at Israel, and the. Um, 
and they asked for certain other equipment from from Israel. I mean, Israel's a small country. It's still, it, it, it needs to buy what it buys for its own defense. It's facing challenges on Israel's north. There's a huge American-Israeli uh, exercise going on that's focused on, on a war in Israel's north. Now, it's for both sides to, to adapt to their own needs, but it's it's very large uh, exercise that, that is going on right now. And uh, Israel faces the, you know, the Iranian challenge on many fronts and has Russia sitting in Syria. And if he doesn't understand that, I mean, it's it's a shame because he's asking Israel to put its own security at risk because Russia already started taking measures, as you saw, after the attack on the airport in Damascus. Uh, they The Russia's threatened and, and took certain measures. Uh, Israel can't afford to lose its freedom of action in Syria against the Iranians and against Hezbollah and the movement of weapons and stuff. So it's a complex picture for Israel. I think Israelis responded, and Israel generously, financially, and in other ways. Uh, They voted in the United Nations against Russia, which obviously got the Russians very angry at them. So I think he, you know, the demands are really quite strange because I don't hear the same demands being made ah, of other countries. I was just going to ask and you that. half the countries in the world that don't even support haven't come out in any support for them. I was just going to ask you that if he's calling out other countries and based on what you're saying, he has not. Very interesting uh, that he's targeting Israel on that. Um, the Iranians are, are in fact holding three Mossad agents, or they are, or Israel has not acknowledged that they are agents, and that and and they are the ones who are claiming that they're going to be tri- detained and tried as agents. I I I don't, you know, they make claims all the time because, for instance, the arrests in Turkey of Iranians who were plotting against uh, Israeli diplomat and his wife who were visiting against Israeli tourists and others. And to to counter that and to also to show their own people that they have been effective after the internal attacks, the fact that Israel continues to operate with impunity, even in Tehran, interrogating people in Tehran, taking steps against some of the facilities in Tehran. So they arrest, but they're not necessarily they're not arresting Israelis. They're arresting others whom they claim uh, were working for. Uh, Mossad, this is a common tactic, not just in Iran, but in other places as well. And I think, uh, you know, people should take with a grain of salt. Is it possible that they trace somebody who may have helped or assisted in some of the operations? It's always possible. Now I get it. I assume I went with the report that they were likely were Israelis, but now I understand that they, they have to pin somebody. They have to pin something on somebody. They're going to accuse them of being a, a cooperative spy with Israel. Right, and you know that they're shifted. They've shifted now the responsibility. It's a story that got almost no coverage, but the you know the internal demonstrations, by the way, are continuing in in very big scale, and yet get no mention here. But they also reshifted the focus of the Quds forces to domestic and regional challenges instead of just for their foreign uh, aspirations, um, and the demonstrations lately inside the country uh, defying and th- that the members of the Quds force were defying their commander's orders and didn't crack down hard on the demonstrators and they're suffering from economic conditions as well uh, they, the, um, the, re- the regime stopped giving them special economic grants and we see that the the um, that Reisi, the president has come under fire to, even from his own radical camp 
uh, as is the supreme leader, and the demonstrations become more vocal about death to the supreme leader, which is, as you know, a very courageous thing to do, and we mm-hmm. see this shift amongst the Basiji. This is important because people, you know, read about it, as, as you noted, and they buy the, the headline, but they don't know the story of what's what's really behind the uh, you know, what, what's really the truth of what's going on. The, the immense number of demonstrations that teachers are on strike, their salaries are down to like $230 a month, and the people don't have food to eat. And at the same time, they're escalating the the enrichment at Fordo, and, and which which is not supposed to have any enrichment, as well as at Natanz. They're putting in the IR6s, there's high the level centrifuges and uh, advancing all the time, both their ability to enrich the capacity and the stockpiling. Uh, and at the same time, now they're saying they're, they're ready to go back to the table in, in Vienna and blame the United States for the failure. Are any members of Congress taking up this cause? Are, are, is anybody, you know, is anybody acknowledging the role that the demonstrators, the protesters are having and, 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 and you know, what kind of sacrifice they're making, how courageous they are in all of this? Usually there's somebody. Almost none. Usually there's somebody. Almost none. Yeah. That, you know, I got the FFL-CIO to come out for the, the truck drivers um, two years ago. But but where are all the unions? Where are all the people who, who, progress, who are progressive and stand for human rights? And here you have people. Um, literally fighting for their lives and and t- risking their lives to do um, to do what they do and uh, and yet there's hardly any resonance and there are great opportunities if they were to take advantage of the opportunity this is the way to impact the government of the of, of Iran it's not uh, you wouldn't wouldn't have to go to war to stop them we can stop them from the the pressure from from the inside and. You see that they're continuing um, work with with Hezbollah, with with Hamas, with all the terrorist operations. Uh, they, um, you know, they have not diminished any of those activities uh, at all, and they are, of course, get uh, angry and, and uh, try to escalate some of their activities as they are doing with American shipping. By the way, in the Gulf, where they're harassing those little speedboats, harassing American ships, coming very close to a, an accident. Um, uh, this week, and, and in, in addition, engaging in piracy like they did against the Greek ships. Uh, you know, the, the foreign minister of Russia was there, Lavrov, and um, supposedly about the Vienna conference. Um, but he said that they, you know, he urged them to stand the line and, to, and hold the line. So w- w- there's so much that's going on, and the 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 not only members of Congress, administration, others, they're not looking They're not looking at their role in South America where they're expanding all the time. And now with the loss in Colombia, which we talked about, and I said what happened, and now Bolsonaro in danger, we virtually have no pro-American uh, or neutral governments left there. Panama is one, uh, Paraguay, Uruguay, but Chile, uh, all of the rest. And and nobody worries that Iran is building this infrastructure two hours from our coast in Miami. Yeah. Crazy situation. Nobody's paying attention to it. Um, did you see the New York Times had an, ind- I, I assume it was an independent investigation into the killing of Shirin Abu Alde. Um, am I right that they, that they had, it was an, ind- New York Times 
in neutral do not go together. Well. No, but th- I, I thought it was an independent investigation. Like they actually went ahead. Your and- Times an independent. Don't go through. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering what you made of that because you know the, I it's, I don't know if they directly said it, but based on the article, they were certainly very confident that it came from an Israeli military source. Everybody's leaning to that direction. UN came out with a report today about it. Um, you know, supposedly Al Jazeera had the bullet and showed it, but they didn't show it to the Israelis. They have not been able to do forensics on it. Uh, Israel has not ruled out that it could have been a soldier, but what they did rule out that it was deliberate. It was not. It was a, it's a fire zone. And as uh, we've talked before, you know, in the last few years, thousands of journalists have been killed yeah. in, in, in action and nobody cares and nobody, you know, calls for these kind of investigations. And this one, it, it, she was, she was there and, and put herself in harm's way. It's unfortunate. Journalists should not be killed and, uh, Israel's expressed regret over her, her death. And, and but most of all was not deliberate. If it happened, it, you know, this is something that should be acknowledged. And if it, if the PA had cooperated with Israel, there would have been a full investigation and a determination. Why is it so important to Saudi Arabia to mend its uh, rift uh, with Turkey? Well, it's important for both. Uh, first of all, the the economic conditions in Turkey are really terrible and they want to get Aiden build business with it. Second, he wants to break out of his isolation, the meaning Erdogan. Uh, the same thing is true of MBS and he's doing now a tour. He was in Jordan, I think in Egypt and Turkey. Uh, this is in advance of the president's visit. And I think it's, it's uh, after the period of isolation that followed the Khashoggi killings, uh, killing and the, um, you know, the sanctions that people invoked on Saudi Arabia, and their people are critical of the president for going for that, but Saudi Arabia is very critical to us now in the energy field and other regard. Uh, they are trying to uh, develop their own regional uh, security operations, by the way, in which Israel is part. Uh, they're both maritime, and they're talking about, um, and, you know, in terms of rockets, uh, anti-rocket and missile defense, other things that um, Benny Gantz, the Minister of Defense, spoke about. Others spoke this week. There, there are uh, the, the regional exercises, as they did in the, the Gulf, very important because more and more countries became part of it with Israel, too. So he's, I think that, that Saudi Arabia is looking to expand its ties, its trade. They, he's trying to rebuild the economy, that it not be just based on fossil fuels and oil and gas, but be broader and specifically wants Israeli high tech, but has not yet made the, the movement. I'm not sure that you're going to see diplomatic relations. You may see the overflights granted to Israeli planes going to the Far East, not just those going to the UAE and Bahrain like as now. And I think you, you could see other steps towards a normalization of the relationship, but it will it will take time, and it's it, you know the king is not as enthusiastic I think as MBS is uh, Mohammed Salman's the son uh, who really in effect is running the country and will meet with um, with the president as well. So the uh, the the president's trip to the Middle East is still on. It's going to happen in uh, mid July, and what we didn't uh, ask you. Um, now that this is uh, inevitable and imminent, the change in prime ministership, does it matter? Does it matter that he may visit Israel and there'll be either a different or, I don't want to say no prime minister, that's ridiculous, but, but that Israel will be going through this interim stage? 
I think I have to say, of course, it makes a difference if you have a stable government and you're not facing an election. But I think he will say our relationship is not based upon what political party or individuals in power. Uh, the report I've seen lately is that he will meet Netanyahu as well. Oh, wow. They know each other for 40 years. Uh, they've had up and down relationship, you know, in the last time when he visited when Netanyahu was prime minister uh, and he was vice president, they had the announcement made about some settlement expansion and right. Biden was very insulted, and, but they worked to, to uh, overcome it. And of course, Netanyahu's speech in the, in the Congress. Um, but uh, the word is that, or the inclination is, as of now that I've heard, is that he will meet with him. I'm sure he'll meet Bennett and Lapid and Benny Gantz. He'll also go to Ramallah. Uh, there was also reports he'd visit uh, the hospital in the, the Arab hospital in, in Jerusalem, East Jerusalem. Um, they have to be very sensitive about any measures or things that start raising the issues. I don't think he's going to announce opening the consulate. He may announce an upgrade in the uh, position of the person who's the special envoy to the Palestinians operating out of the American embassy in Jerusalem. But there's a lot of opposition to that as well. So uh, I think, you know, the purpose of the visit to show that the U.S.-Israel special relationship is intact will happen no matter who the prime minister is. Uh, the fact that they will support further expansion of the Abraham Accords, you know, those things can all go ahead. I wonder if uh, the, the president of the United States will have an influence on the upcoming Israeli election, you know, it's it's happened in the past that the American presidents have had a, a role when it's come to an Israeli election. Some call it interference, some call it a role, some call it other things, but but I, it's too early, I think, now to, for, you know, when he gets there. Uh, the government was just dissolved to be, it's very early in the process. I think it was a week before an election it could have, but what it does do gives Lapid the opportunity to look prime ministerial, to be, show that he can fill that void, and in that regard, yes, it, it can make a difference. Did you see this news analysis? I think it was in the New York Times that President Trump is to blame for the current status in terms of negotiations with Iran because he so abruptly left the Iran deal that now it leaves America in a very difficult position to diplomatically deal with the uh, with the Iranians. Uh, well, I mean, that accusation was made the day we pulled out of the JCPOA. I don't think that the evidence is there is that Iran was not using all of the time to to advance its its facilities, its capacities. You see that they've cut off the IEA. It's not because we pulled out of the 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 deal. If they wanted us to be in the deal, they would do it. We'd be doing the exact opposite right. in order to get us back. And the Russians, by the way, are are playing a very critical role in determining Iran's positions. And I'm saying it carefully in determining Iran's positions, both in Vienna, where they speak for them, and in Tehran itself. And they they have an interest in not seeing a deal, just as they might have an interest in the deal because they can export and they bypass the sanctions by sending uh, goods and, and oil through uh, Iran. Uh, but also, by as long as there, there's no deal, it means that the price of oil will continue to stay high uh, because Iran production will be off the market and Russia's is obviously being sanctioned as well. So the the you know it's very easy for people to say you know if you if you hadn't pulled out it would have been different. There are people who say there should be a deal, but it's got to be a better deal. We see the sunset clauses, meaning they are running out, that they are uh, will be able to move towards full um, 
uh, enrichment very soon, and, and they're increasing their stockpiles. They did not destroy the facilities they said they destroyed. They're taking away the cameras from from the facility, so we, we, the IEA doesn't even have a, an idea anymore. And they have them underground. For those underground, the Tons is all underground. And we know that they are, are moving ahead on all the fronts, including developing missiles and drones and other capacities. So, you know, I think that's too simplistic for people. Well, if Washington wanted a deal today, they could have it in 10 minutes. If they wanted a deal, they'd go make a deal. I mean, you know, it, could, it couldn't be any well, but that deal, that would entail, number one, taking the IRGC off the Iran Revolutionary Guard off the terrorism list, which no party in in, in Washington agrees to. They uh, they would have to do other things, including lifting sanctions and seeing tens of billions of dollars flow again to Iran. Right. And when we know where that money is right. going to end up. Right, my point so being, they really don't want to they do. make a deal? Yeah, you could make a deal if we sell out all of our interests. And, some, and even with that, you see that Iran has been delaying. They could have had a deal. It wouldn't have been everything they wanted, but they they, they are playing a game, and they're, they're they're using the leverage right now. They have because the price of oil is high. They have more income. The people suffer. Half the country in drought. The high unemployment. The um, currency worthless. But the Supreme Leader's House and the IRGC and those guys who control forty percent of the economy are living well. If there was one country or one body that I would feel did not need a definition of anti-Semitism, it's the Knesset. Yet the Knesset has adopted the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism. Why is that significant? It's very significant because Israel was elected to be the chair of the IHRA this week. So it would look a little strange if the country that's chairing it didn't adopt it. And some 30 other countries have adopted it already and more will. And it is a very important tool in the war against Jew hatred because if you can't define it, you can't fight it. And here you have a specific definition and more importantly, the examples that accompany it, which includes anti-Semitism, Zionism, anti-Semitism, etc. And people should read it. Many states have adopted it. Universities have adopted it. It's become a universal standard, even if it's not implemented by many of them, but at least it's a recognition of it. And what do you think of the Simon Wiesenthal Center representatives uh, presenting a facsimile of the letter from Hitler back from 1919, I believe it was, espousing the destruction of the Jewish people by a government of strength to the Pope this week? Do you find that unusual or you found it significant? Look, I, there were a couple of things that happened. You know, the Vatican is going to put online and make available the documents from, uh, uh, from the wartime popes, um, including appeals to the Pope that went unanswered, uh, you know, they're beginning to confront, even if in minimal ways we don't, it, these are redacted files, uh, so we're not seeing everything, and it does show the, the deliberate policy of restraint from, and not confronting uh, Hitler over it because they were supposedly protecting the church's interests, whatever, it does not look good, and um, I think uh, presenting the letters symbolic in, in sending a message that, look, there is a history here, and, and and you have to confront history. You have to be willing to be honest about history if you want to make it different in the future. I hear that. I don't know why it seemed to, it struck me as a bit strange, but maybe just the, uh, maybe I looked at it as if it was an accusatorial type move against the Vatican. I'm sure there are people in the Vatican who, 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 who took it that way. way. Yeah. Okay, so I'm not the only one, I guess. <laughs> um, there are two of you. <laughs> at least. Uh, <laughs> holiday weekend next week. Do we convene on Friday or not? It's up to you. 
Well, we'll discuss it during the week. There you go. <laughs> All right. I'm willing. I'm always available and for you. But And there are a lot of important things that, that are coming. By the way, you know that the U.S. courts ruled that the PA owes $37 million to the victims of, of terror um, that, they're, that they're supposed to pay. It's very hard to collect on those things. Yeah, that's why it doesn't uh, seem to make a difference, right? But at the same time, the Iranian court hit the U.S. with a $4 billion judgment, so that's not getting paid either. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but look at the announcement by Hania and Nasrallah meeting in Beirut about the axis of resistance. In, in, uh, just, just, the term, just the term is chilling, frankly. Right, and the fact that the level of cooperation between Hamas and, and Hezbollah, which, remember, I've talked about for more than a year, well, much more than a year, because we saw the signs, and it was, it's, a, it's a creeping increase in involvement, and that they're creating their own independent presence in Lebanon, which is in total collapse, the political situation, I mean, it's just uh, totally um, uh, disastrous in all parts, and you see breakaway groups, et cetera, and I met with a leader of the Lebanon parliament the other day, and uh, when I was in Morocco, and, and it was... Um, it was chilling to hear his account, and he's anti-Hezbollah, but they're very courageous in, in the process that they're willing to stand up and speak up. But yeah. the conditions there are, are horrific. As you continue to point out, maybe somebody of uh, <laughs> maybe somebody in the United States government will take note of that. Well, uh, they did, by the way, change the position on the Kavish regime uh, rig, and uh, saying that they them to to uh, um, they dismissed their claim. Lebanon dismissed their own claim. Uh, for that territorial waters, which may mean that with the talks between Lebanon and Israel can move forward. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, all right, thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again yeah, next week. Have a great week. Shabbos, everybody. Be well. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update right here at JM in the AM.